This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Soccer fans, welcome to episode 14 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Hope all of you out there are able to enjoy the weekend, which was a big one that started with the commemoration of Juneteenth and ended with Father's Day to all of the dads out there. I hope you enjoyed the day, especially my dad, who I was able to FaceTime with for a bit yesterday. Uh, Love you, dad, and hopefully you enjoyed your day along with everyone else. Uh, This episode is action-packed today. We are recording this on Monday, June 22nd, and we have a lot to cover. There was news out of the NWSL just right as I was was about to record that the Orlando Pride has withdrawn from the Challenge Cup taking place this coming weekend. We will have Stephanie Yang back on the show later to discuss all of that. But first, we begin with a special interview. Last Friday, the Black Players Coalition of MLS was introduced to the world, and I was lucky to be able to get in contact with Justin Morrow, who is a defender for Toronto FC and also the men's national team, and Jeremy Abobese, who plays for the Portland Timbers and also is in the United States men's national team player pool. They are both uh, two of the guys that are heading up this effort, and I was lucky to be able to speak with them on the Black Players Coalition of MLS what they are intending to figure out as we move forward, how they plan to tackle racial inequality, both in soccer and here in the United States and Canada. So right now, here is an interview that I recorded just a few minutes ago with Justin Morrow and Jeremy Abobase. I'm honored to be joined by two of the board members of the newly formed Black Players Coalition of Major League Soccer. First, we have Justin Morrow, defender for De- Toronto FC and also for the U.S. men's national team. Justin is currently serving as the new executive director of the coalition. Justin, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. And also joining us is Jeremy Abobase, forward for the uh, for the Portland Timbers and has also represented for the men's national team. Jeremy, appreciate you being here as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always good to connect with Blue Devils. Always, always. Uh, gentlemen, you both are a member, uh, or at least the founding members, of the Black Players Coalition of MLS, which you just announced to the world last Friday on Juneteenth. Justin, I want to begin with you. Take us through the thought process of creating this coalition and how you guys were able to form it so quickly. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it came on uh, on the back of a the death of another black man at the hands of a white police officer. You know, that was, to be honest, I think all of us can be honest and say that was the moment that galvanized us. Um, and so days after that, uh, if not hours, we were able to get a significant number of guys uh, together talking about the same things. You know, do we feel supported by Major League Soccer? Um, are we happy with the way our representation is throughout the league and executive positions and in coaching positions? What more can we do than just put out statements, um, you know, wear, wear shirts that have writing on them after we score goals? You know, what more can we do than that? And, and kind of this is what we came up with, an organization that was going to be able to be impactful, um, not only as joining together in, in the unity sense, but also impactful in that we were going to create change through action and initiatives which is actually going to change our world and major league soccer and jeremy you know back on june 1st you penned an incredible essay in the beginning of this uh racial injustice movement and you gave us a glimpse into kind of what you were feeling about the murder of george floyd all the emotions that channeled for you know that channeled for everybody how did you get looped into these conversations with Justin and how were you able to channel that energy and pain that you were feeling into building for this? Yeah. I mean, in the past I had, I had gone through these moments alone. You know, I had grown up in a community that although very welcoming uh, did not understand uh, the plight of black Americans and what it meant to, to a black kid to see another one uh, murdered in the streets followed by the vilification of his character. Um, so I was grateful to Justin and, and the rest of the guys for including me in the group because it, it showed me that there was a community of guys who felt the same way. And, and although I always knew that, uh, to see and to bounce ideas off each other, to see how that pain and grief um, led ultimately to motivation to change uh, in a sustainable sense, that's, that's how I decided to carry my energy. How could I add to that group? Uh, and ultimately, as Justin mentioned, I mean, we're, we're trying to we're trying to influence uh, institutions from the outside and from within uh, in order to in order for the next generation to to have a little bit less to deal with as far as systemic racism. Uh, and it's a, it's a long process, but it, this one goes beyond the symbolic gesture, you know, the the pictures that we've seen from all the clubs. Which you know, it's great to see the solidarity, but also what's the next step. And we didn't want to just be caught up in a symbolic image. We wanted to to be powerful in our intent. Yeah, and you know, as you guys have built this cause, you I believe in the in the press conference uh, last week, you mentioned that you had a, as many over seventy players involved in this. As this grew, I'm sure that those brainstorming sessions touched on a litany of issues, right? How did you guys start to narrow everything down into a mission statement that you could all present and get behind? Yeah, I think it comes with the leadership of the guys um, who took who took ownership of the group. Uh, we, we were really collaborative, and ultimately we know that although we might have slightly different ideas on how to get what we want across, uh, we're working towards the same goal, which is uh, fighting systemic racism in sports and, and in our community. So ultimately, when, when we work through um, aspects of developing our, our statements or um, our, our pathway to change, uh, we delegate and then we, we collaborate on how to refine the message so that everyone's on board, everyone believes in it, and ultimately it's one that also does the issues justice. 
one that we feel comfort we feel confident um, will force other people to uh, really look internally uh, at the structure that has prevented Black people from having a voice uh, and ultimately power as well within those institutions. Uh, Justin, bringing you back in, the the mission that you guys laid out that Jeremy just described is is very clear. You guys presented it uh, in your statement on Friday, and there's a lot that you guys hope to accomplish in the long term. But in the short term, are there things that you hope Major League Soccer or even just this, you know, the system that that is based on, are there things that you hope to address immediately that to start that path towards progress? Yeah, I mean, to what Jeremy was saying, our leadership group, each of us brings something special to the group and something unique and, and specific. And so it's a very collaborative process in that sense when we're coming towards a decision. But the things that we needed to change were evident. And I think they were all smacking us right in the face when we decided, okay, what are the things that we can actually change? You talk about um, changing the representation and the black representation in the, in the players association or at major league soccer, whether it be at the coaching level or at executive level, you know, those things are the, those are things that stick out. Um, you talk about developing the game in black communities where a lot of these MLS clubs are built on. A lot of these stadiums are in black communities. And so that was another thing that stuck out to us and us um, banking on our experiences growing up as black men in the United States, um, our experiences with youth soccer and, and how we would change that. And so that was another thing that we focused on. And then as Jeremy's brought to the group, uh, focusing on a, um, education outside of the game and, and giving kids in black communities um, the opportunities to be successful, whether that's in the game or not in the game. And so we're very much focused in, in helping change in major league soccer, but also outside of soccer as well and, and really furthering the black cause and, and fighting this race on inequality. You guys are both members of the men's national team. This is a stars and stripes focus on the, on the men's national team. You have a lot of players in this coalition that are also part of that team. And there's also the players that play overseas. Uh, have you guys been speaking with those guys in the player pool who aren't in MLS and, or are you collaborating with them in some other way related to this? I think we all collaborate with the people that we have personal relationships with that we've played with in the past or that we're close with. For me, Zach Steffen, I, I was in a camp with him um, not too long ago and playing against him in Columbus for a number of years. We have a relationship where uh, right after George Floyd's death, he was involved in the conversations. And so that was part of the collaboration, you know, about what he's doing over there, um, how we can help him with that and, and, and further his goals as well. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that, Justin, um, similar to you in, in saying that we, we speak to the people that we play with and against the most. I've had conversations with Tyler Adams um, and Eric Palmer Brown, who are overseas, um, ex-MLS players as well. Uh, and, you know, they feel a little bit isolated and, and want to know what's going on, you know, on the ground level in the country because, you know, we, we've seen this too much. Uh, but now that they're removed from the country, uh, they want to make sure that they're still in it. Uh, still in the fight, and and the more they see us putting together a cohesive unit and platform, the the more the question will be in the future of, you know, what kind of a role can they can they do to help either highlight our cause overseas, um, or or just help us internally. You know, these are these are passionate uh, these are passionate Americans who who want change for their communities as well. So um, 
it's a long process and, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can, we can put some creative and thoughtful minds together uh, in the future. Jeremy, I'm glad you mentioned the passion. I, it leads right into my next question. I, I recall from your essay reading it, you, you wrote this portion that I thought really stuck out. I hope the passion is real and that my black brothers and sisters can take solace in the fact that we have new people to welcome in the fight, people that will learn, listen, and mobilize. As you guys mobilize, how has that been received by your fellow non-black teammates and, and competitors like, and how do you plan to bring them into this fight? I think there, there was a lot of positive, uh, there's a positive reception, you know, whether we're talking about the media, whether we're talking about personal friends off the field uh, or, or teammates in the locker room. And, you know, they are going through a process of learning right now, which, you know, pleases me very much. Uh, but ultimately they'll want to do something with that knowledge and, and we'll have to find a way to incorporate them to, to some degree because this is a problem for all Americans. Uh, but we as black Americans have this common, uh, this common uniter, unfortunately, um, that brings us together in which we need to share uh, this grief. But again, the, the more heads we have uh, listening to how we move forward, uh, the more we'll have an ability to impact different demographics moving forward as well. So um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing from my teammates on a personal level where they are in their journey uh, and, and unlearning our history and, and how they want to move forward. Because as I said, we're creative uh, and, and we'll find a way to do everything we, we need to. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, our, our coalition has some really good initiatives in the works. We've come together quickly and it's full of a group of really strong-willed men. Uh, but we know that we're not going to be able to make the change on our own. And so we are looking for ways to incorporate the full player pool of Major League Soccer because we know that we're going to need all of them to make a change. And I think those things will come in the future. Justin, in the midst of all of this, you, you guys are balancing a lot. You, we're in the middle of a pandemic still. And you guys are also preparing to play in the MLS's back tournament in a couple of weeks. How difficult has it been to manage all of this? And related to that, you know, we're speaking as we learn about the NWSL finding out that the Orlando Pride has pulled out of their tournament because of COVID-related cases. Do you have any concerns about playing or do you even have concerns about your message here being lost by playing in this tournament? Yeah, I mean, this this whole year has been absolute madness. And if you talk about how our coalition came about, you have to talk about the, the backdrop of being in a pandemic and the stress that comes from that, then going through return to play negotiations and the stress that comes along with that. And then you add on the death of George Floyd. And so really it felt like our worlds were crumbling. And for me, it's been a way more stressful year than any normal year where I'm playing a regular season schedule. Um, having this coalition has been able, has helped me to be able to take a step back and refocus that anger and pain into something that's going to be positive. And that has been so beneficial for me and I'm sure it has for my peers as well. And so we're really looking forward to, to making a change. And I would say as far as um, coming back to playing, that's not going to stop anything that, that we're doing. You know, it's not going to hinder us. It's not going to mute our message at all. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, we obviously it, it's been a it's been a challenging year. Justin talked about you know the negotiations and the pandemic and you know just the general economy closing down on us and watching some of the, our favorite places and close relationships that we fostered off the field, seeing them go through such tough times, uh, really put our struggles into perspective as well. Uh, and then the the capitulation of George Floyd on top of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery um, just added uh, salt to that wound. Uh, so the opportunity to, to build something beautiful uh, and, and frankly life-changing on the back of, of this tough five months uh, is something that gets me going. Uh, you know, there, there are going to be bumps along the road, but ultimately knowing that starting with Orlando, and, and we know that Orlando is going through a tough time in Florida, is, but you know, starting with Orlando, we have the opportunity to make a statement, and, and, and following that, we have the opportunity to unroll or unveil some new initiatives, and that's where our energy has to be. Uh, and people will see those initiatives, and they'll want to get involved, and they'll understand that, that we're serious. That I think is the most important thing. That this isn't just a this isn't just a oh George Floyd died, black people were angry and got together. This is a no, we're intelligent, we're we're thorough, and we want to address each point of emphasis with a level of clarity and detail and metrics to to measure our success. So our energy will be will be spent in that regard developing our, our platforms and our initiatives uh, and orlando will be a, a good opportunity to to start to, to bring those things to life you know as we've seen around the world we've seen statements and gestures from leagues and players you know players taking a knee black lives matter shirts patches names on jerseys people are wondering if we're if the league is going to respond to an issue that is very, you know, central to, you know, American life, do you guys, have you guys talked with the league about any statements or gestures that they can make during this upcoming tournament or that you guys plan to take during this upcoming tournament? Yeah, we're collaborating with the league in that sense. And and that's part of what this group is all about. You know, us having a voice in these decisions, uh, but it needs to be so much more than that. You know, we're happy that these other leagues around the world are donning Black Lives Matter paraphernalia and taking a knee and recognizing what's happening across the world. But it needs to be so much more than that. And that's where we come in to make sure this conversation continues, not just now, not just in a month, but years and years down the road until we see the change that we want to see. Yeah, I agree with that. And Black Lives Matter has been around for, for years and police brutality and lynchings and extrajudicial killings have been around for, for decades and centuries. So what's new? What, what has brought and catapulted Black Lives Matter to the forefront is what I always ask myself uh, and what I ask other people to, to, to check in with themselves internally as well. Because ultimately it's beautiful. I love, I love seeing this, this worldwide movement and I think that that's what's going to be the catalyst for change. But I want to make sure that people also know what Black Lives Matter means, uh, that we're not just getting ourselves desensitized to, to certain gestures. And I think that that's where uh, our coalition comes, comes into play. You know, we have the opportunity to educate based on the initiatives that we're going to unroll. 
so that people understand that Black Lives Matter isn't just about the last person that you saw that was killed on video. It's about the systemic racism throughout all of our institutions. And so we hope that people recognize that and, and that it's clear that when we have education initiatives, when we have job initiatives, uh, or, or whatever it might be, economic investment initiatives in our communities, that people understand that that's what Black Lives Matter means. That matters means Black people need to have an opportunity in this country. It's not Black people should avoid the, solely avoid the killing at the hands of law enforcement. It's that they need to be respected members of society, of the society that has taken from, for so long from so many families and has caused so much pain. Uh, and we're playing our small role in that, but hopefully uh, with our partners that, that, we, that we move forward with in the future, uh, it'll inspire others to take action on an individual and on the organizational standpoint. The last question I have for you guys, this is a fan site. You know, most people who read our site are, are fans of the game. They're fans of the soccer, U.S. national team, men and women. And they're asking, what can we do to support your efforts? So to you guys, I'll start with you, Jeremy, and then Justin, you can, you can wrap it up. What's the best way for us to help you achieve your goals? Yeah, I think we're, we're young and, and we're coming together. And our goals are our goals are clear. We obviously want to have this great umbrella of defeating systemic racism, but we're not naive to think that we can do that alone or in in the near future. But we're setting up a sustainable uh, project that that will be able to continue that fight. I think the best way on an individual level is to continue to to go through this this awakening, so that when we are unveiling initiatives, you are supportive of those initiatives in, in whichever way. Um, you can, whether it's financial um, or whether it's actually showing up and volunteering if that's what um, a given initiative calls for. Uh, but most importantly, we want our voice to be heard. This, the collective uh, unification of our group is to give ourselves a strong voice that will be heard throughout the world uh, and, and the country and, and to different organizations. And when we put something out there, uh, we hope that people will read it and take it to heart and process it as opposed to, to dismissing it. Yeah. I don't want to add too much to what Jeremy said. You know, we are a young organization and it's going to take time to get ourselves established and put in the long lasting initiatives that we want. So my message would be to all the supporters out there is, is don't lose us along the way, you know, in the time between now starting up and when we actually, create these initiatives and, and bring them to the forefront and announce them, educate yourself and remember that we're there, we're working behind the scenes and we're putting a lot of hard work in and that uh, eventually we're going to need your support. Like Jamie said, whether it's financial or showing up um, and don't let our message fall on deaf ears. Justin Morrow, Jeremy Abobise, both founding board members of the black player coalition of major league soccer you can find the coalition on Twitter and Instagram at BPCMLS. And they also have a great article run on perfectsoccer.com, which is Quincy Ameriquois site, also a board member. Guys, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. We're looking forward to seeing this coalition grow and you know, let us know anything that we can do uh, going forward. Also, we hopefully 
will see you back on the soccer field in a safe manner very soon. But I appreciate the two of you and keep up the excellent work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And again, my thanks to Justin Morrow and Jeremy Obobese for coming on to the show. They are the first players that we have had on this podcast. So I, I'm honored uh, to have them on there. This is a ongoing struggle for not just black players, but black fans in MLS and around the world. How do we take this energy that Justin and Jeremy so eloquently described and channel it into something that will bring about real change? And how do people help? And I was glad that they were able to come on and explain what they are hoping to accomplish. And really the one thing that I thought they touched on well is how we can be a part of it. All of us out there, we all have to be a part of the solution because it's not going to occur overnight and it's not just going to be their problem or my problem. It's going to be everyone's problem. We all have to be able to adjust and really take flight in this new, new normal that we live in. We have to make it the best normal we possibly can be. And that starts by lifting up all ships and making sure that everyone has the equality that we all deserve that's in our constitution. And I'm glad that these players are, are uniting, that they're standing up for themselves and that they have come ready to put in the work necessary to get that change done. I believe in them. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to work with them uh, in my capacity using my platform it is something that everyone should take note of. So I'm really glad that Justin and Jeremy were able to join me. I'm glad that they are heading up this effort. We we could not ask for uh, two better guys to be involved in this. And and all of the players that are in this coalition, we we don't stand behind you. We stand with you. We stand right next alongside of you because uh, this should not be your fight alone. And I know I'm willing and ready to work with you guys to achieve the change that we all seek in this world and in this game we call soccer to make it the beautiful game that we describe it as. So as we continue on, we will take a quick break. We will be back with Stephanie Yang and everything that has just happened in the NWSL. Stick around. You do not want to miss this. Back here on the Stars and Stripes FC podcast, the NWSL was just rocked by news just a bit ago that the Orlando Pride have withdrawn from the Challenge Cup, which is supposed to start on Saturday in Utah. At least 10 players and staff have contracted the coronavirus. I'm joined by my co-manager, Stars and Stripes FC, Stephanie Yang. Stephanie is also the manager of All 411, the SB Nation blog that focuses on women's soccer, both here and abroad. Stephanie, hi, how are you? I've literally just been shaking my head and going, uh, 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 for like <laughs> 10 minutes now. I cannot, I just can't handle, like, I can't process this news. Yeah, it, I, look, I, our friend at The Athletic, Meg Linehan, usually, I mean, all day she has been 
fielding questions about when the rosters were supposed to come out because they were supposed to be coming out today. Now we have to send her uh, and and you and me some bourbon and some more coffee because now we're talking about players contracting the coronavirus in a bar in Orlando of all places that could have been the catalyst. So to begin the process of, of trying to grasp all this, where like, what does this mean? for the challenge cup, which is, again, is supposed to start in just a few days. I think logistically it in a best case scenario, it may not mean anything at all because the side benefit of the challenge cup being kind of small and initially being run with nine teams is that first of all, each team was only playing four games. So if the pride are out, then we've lost like four games from the schedule, but hopefully you can just kind of shift things a little bit. Maybe some people can get a little more of a break, which would be nice in terms of injury prevention. And then eight out of nine teams were going to advance anyway. And poor team number nine, which not to be a jerk, some people had suggested the pride would have been a candidate for that anyway, um, Mm -hmm. was, was going to go out. And I'm not trying to connect like, Oh, if the pride were going to go in anyway, so it's fine that they got Corona. That is absolutely not it. But I'm I'm saying in a, from a logistical point of view, NWSL may not have to do too much hustling to you know patch things up. Yeah, well, I think the logistics of the schedule are one thing, but you know, earlier this morning, the the focus on this tournament was basically on the rosters and not necessarily who was going, but who wasn't. And you know, there was speculation about some of the women's national team players that may have been. Uh, opting out of this tournament now that this has happened how does that change i i feel like more players are probably questioning whether or not they go through with this so um our friend who has written for stars and stripes charles only i thought had some really astute tweets about this which is when this kind of stuff happens it can feel very personal and close to you like even though logically for example if you're a team training in montana and you guys have been in like really strict isolation it actually really doesn't matter what happened in orlando where the state was opening up and they had very different rules around like going into bars and businesses and things like that but I can understand any player who's like NWSL players tested positive. I'm an NWSL player and it's scary news. Right. And so I don't blame anyone. Like logic doesn't enter into it. If anybody has feelings about their health, I really am not going to judge them. It's their health. Yeah. And you also have this, this notion, right. That it's not just Orlando. It's not an isolated thing, right. We've had teams in every sport across this nation uh, developing, you know, having cases on, on those particular teams and those particular sports in their home markets in Utah is not, uh, is not like Utah is this utopia where COVID doesn't exist. They have had their cases. They've seen their cases grow as well. So if I'm a player, are, are am I sitting here saying, Hey, if it can happen there, it can also happen in Utah. Or the other question is, do players think that this is something that, is happening across the country and on every team and that they really just don't know if they can go through with this. I mean, this is where communication and information is so important, right? So when they first announced the Challenge Cup, there was a lot of coverage of how the NWSL Players Association had been in pretty constant communication with the league because the players needed to be informed about everything that was going on so that they could make an informed choice about opting in or opting out of the tournament. And I think that's 
what's going to have to happen here where there's going to have to be a lot of honesty and transparency with like, all right, this is how it happened in Orlando. And if it's not happening this way on your team and these are the precautions that we're taking and, you know, we're going to renew whatever in Utah to like increase our rate of disinfection of facilities and where you're staying, maybe that could sway some minds. And I really think there's a lot of players out there who, you know, pro athletes, their mentality, we've talked about it a lot. It's not quite the same as you and me where they want to compete. And so for them, Mm -hmm. their risk balancing is not the same as ours. Where for you and I, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to that going out, there's obviously things that the league has done to prepare for this that will obviously be stepped up. Are, are we talking about more testing in the days of this? Like they weren't quarantined in Utah before this happened. And, and as this tournament starts, they're all supposed to be, you know, arriving over the next couple of days into Salt Lake city. So does that mean more testing for all the players? Does that mean that, Hey, all these players are being quarantined right now. How is this working? I honestly don't know if I would deviate. Obviously, I'm not an epidemiologist, so like this is all with a grain of salt. But like we said, what happens in Orlando doesn't necessarily impact what happens in Utah or Montana or Portland or whatever. Um, if the clubs can prove that they've had like good isolation and distancing protocols and the tests are all negative, like according to NWSL's original protocol, I'm not necessarily sure what increased testing would do. Once again, with the caveat that, like, I haven't thought this through from an epidemiologist's point of view. Right. And also, to be fair, I think I asked you like 20 minutes ago if you could talk about this. So it's uh-uh. not like you, this yeah. is all fluid news, right? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, as we proceed, I mean, obviously, we're all looking forward to this, to these players playing. And as of right now, this tournament is proceeding as scheduled. So let's talk about it because it removing Orlando from the conversation. As of right now, we still have games we played. We still have play to be excited about. What are you looking most uh, looking to uh, the most from this tournament? I think if I were able to just completely stop worrying, I'm not going to be able to. But if if I could, mm-hmm. I mean, I am excited to see which teams kind of treat this as like we got to win this tournament at all costs, and which teams are treating this like look. We're going to treat this as a learning opportunity, but it's a tournament. And in the long run, we don't really care about a result here other than seeing tangible improvement among the players that are going to be like part of our core roster. So it'll be interesting seeing those styles clashing. Um, I think you can maybe guess at which teams have more of a championship at all costs mindset than others. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I'm actually really excited to see if any of the young kids who got drafted get to play. Like, I'm really excited with about Ciara King with Utah. I'm excited to see some of the players who got traded around, if they'll make big moves, I mean, big impacts on their team, like Mitch Purse going to Sky Blue, um, depending on whether they force her to be a fullback or not. But, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. And with this tournament, there was one thing that I was kind of, wrapping my head around is that this could be the only time we see these ladies play in 2020. I I don't know if they've decided on whether this is the only chance for the, uh, for the, you know, NWSL to compete in 2020, but according to, you know, mixed reviews, mixed sources, this could be just the once and that's it. Or, you know, is it still possible 
that we could see this parlay into a truncated regular season and playoffs in the fall like MLS is planning on doing. I think we saw Goff from the Post tweet something about this where he was like, there's really no path towards any kind of regular season unless the stadiums can also open and they can mm-hmm. get like fans on the ground. And I can see that happening where it's not worth it to NWSL. Like maybe it's worth it to Bundesliga and Premier League, but NWSL doesn't have as robust a broadcast deal. Right. And so they may rely a lot more on, you know, feet on the ground, butts in seats, uh, stadium uh, concessions and things like that in order to help not even turn a profit, but just break even and keep operating. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's more likely. Um, NWSL's roster rules, which they published today uh, before all this Orlando Michigas got out, did have uh, a schedule on it talking about when short-term contracts need to be over and when players can essentially become free agents and stuff like that, which gives us maybe a hint at how player movement might go after the season. But I don't think it really hints at any future play unless suddenly they announce a vaccine tomorrow. Right. And I mean, as we progress, you know, there's some of these stadiums are, uh, you know, at least some of these States are allowing stadiums to be open at 25%, 50%. It's obviously not every market in, in WSL. I, for example, I live in DC and, you know, bars and restaurants are just opening on the inside today, much less stadiums coming back anytime soon. Whereas in, you know, Arizona, you can have as many people as you want and everything. And, and part of the reason why MLS is in Orlando is because they were allowed to have, you know, they had stuff open at an earlier date. So is there a chance maybe that if things progress and more stadiums are able to open back up or they get some sort of, uh, uh, I guess, waiver or something like that to, uh, to exemption to open, do you think M- or NWSL could do it? Or is this something where it's the money lost from not having fans in the stands is just too much overcome? I really don't know because we've seen like Lisa Baird. She was in the job for a hot second before she already had big name sponsors lined up. It feels like she did more in a month than any of her predecessors ever did in years. Mm-hmm. Just She's got that Rolodex. She's got connects. She's seems to be pretty good at, um, you know, doing some fundraising. So it might depend, honestly, like if this, the rest of this tournament manages to go off as like a proof of concept and things don't get too heated in potential like venue location. Cause I'm assuming that you're thinking of like a single location and not teams playing in their home markets. Well, it could be both, right? Because I, you know, the single location thing, I feel like we're going to be trying that right now with this tournament. So if for some reason all of these markets are able to get exemptions to open up, you know, stadiums to play or even, you know, academy complexes, do you think that they would go for that? Or is this something where they're like, hey, if there's if we can't have fans and concessions and that revenue coming in, there's no way for us to operate. Right. So I think it goes back to what I was saying about Baird. If she can get some more big deals in place and she can piggyback off of the challenge cup to being like look we pull it off without a hitch and we had the ratings um maybe and she kind of turns that into an even better broadcast deal maybe they might think it was worth it even if they only had like 20 percent capacity at the stadiums i i really don't know how the numbers balance out there um 
I will say that it depends probably on the team and the venue. Uh, not all the teams need as many people as you think to break even per game. I do believe Sky, uh, Sky Blue said at Red Bull Arena they needed like 4,000 people a game to break even. Mm-hmm. Around then. And that was, that was obviously pre-corona. So who knows what it is? Maybe prices are different or whatever. Um, but that can kind of give you a baseline for thinking like, okay, what is like a safe capacity? And if they hit that, then are they going to be able to like kind of slow it to an acceptable loss versus hemorrhaging cash? Okay, we we've dealt a lot with the the bad and the ugly news that has come out of the NWSL in the last couple hours. I want to end on some funner news. Uh, you, I, I know you have been invested in the jersey drip that NWSL has put out over the last few weeks. What mm-hmm. has broken your wallet the most? Uh, which ones are the ones that you're like, yep, I had to grab that and didn't think about it. And which were the ones that you're like, eh. I can wait before I get one of these. Uh, I'll tell you, I was super let down by the Courage's jersey. I'm normally a huge fan of like navy and gold. That's an all-time color combo. Mm-hmm. And they didn't they, they didn't pop from a distance. You would never tell there's pinstripes on that dark navy jersey. And then the home is like a plain white. Like, no effort was made. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tempted by Utah. Very tempted by Utah. I think they hit every check mark you need to hit on a jersey. Um, we haven't seen a lot of style in NWSL, which is not all their fault. Some of it is due to the structure of their relationship with Nike, who's like providing their kits and things like that. And like the schedule behind what it takes to make a truly custom design. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked Utah's. I'm waiting still. Sky Blue still has to announce theirs. I'm waiting on the spirit. Um, That's Thursday. Very interested in spirit. I will say the one jersey that I ordered instantly during this isolation period has not been an NWSL jersey. It was that pride one that you saw that had the rainbow detail on the sleeves. It was forward Mm -hmm. Madison. Yes. It was their pride jersey, but it was black. That was the key. Everyone wants to make rainbow on white, but rainbow pops more on black. So... No, that was good. I mm-hmm. I ended up getting the Richmond Kickers one, which is also a black jersey with uh with a rainbow uh, design that was on it. And I agree with you, the black jersey, especially this month uh, and, and the times we live in, you know, a nice black jersey with with the rainbow just just hit a lot different. And, and so, uh, no, that's that's good. I want to see where your head was at with regards to the NWSL jerseys, and I think we're on the same page. Looking forward to sky blue on on thursday but the spirit is the one i'm i'm literally waiting uh so washington spirit these american human dollars are waiting for you uh in your jersey on thursday but if it yeah Stephanie, if it's good that lavelle jersey is sliding right into my inbox that's it oh yeah yeah it, it won't it won't be an it won't be an effort for me uh and, <laughs> and I've, I've fought quite a bit over this over this quarantine so uh maybe my wallet is the only person who really wants me to go back outside um but stephanie uh appreciate you coming back on the podcast this is we we started this together uh and you're always welcome back this is your house so feel free to drop back anytime it was nice talking to you again donald yeah of course of course and for those of you out there this is episode 14 of the stars and stripes fc podcast thank you to stephanie yang once again for joining me thank you to justin morrow and jeremy Bobise. 
for their thoughts on the Black Players Coalition of MLS. We will be back next week or maybe later on this week if we find out anything more about the NWSL. But until then, take care.